0: most people who really know this issue would follow it or join and see what's going on at a circus figure it out and say oh this isn't a problem this is all just propaganda you know or made up stuff
1: hi i'm heidi harriet welcome to animal tales where we talk about my favorite subject animals well today is uh talking about a topic that's really, uh, close to my heart, near and dear to me, and also something that causes me a lot of, uh, pain and emotion. It's the topic of circus elephants and how they're so vilified and as certainly the trainers and all the misinformation. Years ago, I was traveling, performing with my animals and, uh, was was living this was hearing from directly at the shows from activists talking about protesting and how th- bad things were and I was I was living it and knew that there was more to that story so long story short I got involved with a trade association as a representative a manager and started representing the circus industry and exhibited animal industry within that and of course a trade association deals with the biggest issues their members are facing so I basically became a storyteller and took the issue to legislature legislators in state, local, and even federal to tell the story about elephants and circus animals. Within that, I met a fellow named Dr. Ted Friend. He was at Texas A&M University, and he was a scientist. And he had heard about the issue with animals in entertainment and wanted to delve into it, and ended up doing some studies. And he's my guest today, and I'm so excited to have him on. Because what was really important to me is that he was a scientist, and he was interested in the science and not whether or not he liked circuses or didn't like them. He's even going to tell the story of how one of his assistants refused to go be part of the study because she knew that circus elephants were abused, and how that story worked out later on. When my kids were in school in uh, Florida, when they were in uh, elementary school, we got our state reading list for the summer and it it included a book. And these were uh, required books, at least a certain amount of them, a book called Saving Lily. And it was about a circus elephant that was abused. And my friend was the principal of the elementary school. I went to her and she directed me to some other resources. And I, I lobbied that as much as I could and tried to tell my story and nobody was interested. So here are my kids. Their grandfather was a great elephant trainer and their mother's an animal trainer. And they're they're alongside kids reading a book about how horrible these people are that take care of circus elephants. I'm just tired of it, frankly. And I wanna tell the story. I wanted people to make up their own mind. How you think is up to you but at least base it on some real information. So with that in mind, I'd like to introduce you to my guest, Dr. Ted Friend. Hi Ted, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, Heidi. Good to chat with you. I haven't seen you in a long time.
1: I know. This is awesome. We had spent some time together in past years, and I always say we were travel buddies, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. And, and you were always very progressive on animal issues and trying to push the industry into doing correct things, which they didn't yeah. want to do.
1: <laughs> um, Ted, what I want you to do is back up, please, and tell us uh, about yourself. Tell us who you are and what, what kind of
0: work you do. Okay. Well, I was originally born in New York and went to Cornell as an undergraduate in animal science, dairy science was always interested in large animals and farm animals and things and then transferred. Well, did a little stint in the military Vietnam era and then uh, went on to graduate school. To, to stay in large animals, really, and dairy and livestock, cattle, horses, and pigs. Yeah. And where did they go then? Oh, to Virginia Tech for a graduate degree. Uh, well, a master's and a PhD.
1: In what, and then uh, down what area? That, uh, animal behavior.
0: Okay. They now call it animal welfare science, which we could call it. Back then you didn't dare use the term welfare because, you know, people thought you were, you know, a a commie. (laughs) So anyway, yeah, yeah. but you were there looking at production issues. And and if an animal was in good health, good welfare, good condition, it produced well. And that was always a a real easy linkage to make in those issues. So it didn't, you know, did fine in large animals.
1: And then you ended up at Texas A&M, which is when I knew
0: you. Right. When I right. Then I went to Texas A&M, that was my first real job, you know, and my position there and it was livestock. Uh, and I taught undergraduate classes in a graduate class in applied pathology, livestock physiology, little immune function, because if they're feeling good and doing well, you can pick that up in their physiology. Mm
1: -hmm. So I was
0: trying to link the two together whenever I could. So, yeah. And uh, I was teaching away and we were talking about, you know, some of these issues. And then I saw an announcement that a large circus was coming to town and that was Carson and Barnes. And at that time they had 70 trucks. Gee, what had Maybe twenty elephants, something yeah, like probably, that. Yeah, but this is probably
1: the mid to late '90s. I'm guessing.
0: Oh, earlier.
1: Oh, it was okay. earlier than that.
0: Uh, maybe a little earlier than that. Because I met yeah, you maybe, in well, about
1: '99 or 2000. Yeah, it's
0: probably a little earlier than
1: that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when yeah. I first
0: went out with them, Jim Judkins, and was yeah. manager.
1: So maybe about and, thirty, uh, anywhere from twenty to thirty elephants for sure. A nice herd of elephants. Yeah. 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 yeah twenty.
0: At least, yeah. They had 20 at that time. So, and uh, I was asked to come along, you know, to see. I was talking to the manager at that time. The manager was very progressive, Jim Judkins. And we got along real well. And he said, Why don't you come along and let me you know, join us for a little while and see if there's anything you could make or suggest that we do to improve our husbandry and animals?
1: Wow, that's and- pretty cool. This, that,
0: you had said, heard sure.
1: you had heard the all the uh, kind of fallout of, oh, these poor animals and particularly elephants not taken care of, all that right. kind of thing. And I think you right. tell me you were interested. It it intrigued you. You were you were interested in in your background, what that was all about, right?
0: Right, right. Yeah. And if any of it was true, or if it was all true, so uh, so yeah. So I started traveling with Carson and Barnes uh, and, and my son, you know, a kid who was like four. Because oh my. My, my technician <laughs> wouldn't come along and help me set up stuff because she had told me she had read everything there was to read about circus issues and it was terrible and she wasn't going to go period.
1: Oh, I never so, well, knew you that know, they are kind
0: of being paid me. by me to do that. Well, I'm not going. Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. So,
1: so you had a four-year-old anyway, as your technician,
0: <laughs> right? I love right. it. And he was good. He's better than a lot of graduate students. He knew <laughs> what a Phillips screwdriver was. He could toss it to me if I was on top of a truck, you know, and uh, extension cords and he'd run around, drag that stuff everywhere and had a good time with all the circus people and the kids.
1: Well, it sounds like kid. a farm kid or a circus kid. Exactly. Yeah, what I was well,
0: Yeah. And the kids traveling with the circus were a great influence on him, because they all had extra responsibilities yeah. and little jobs, and he could go join them, selling elephant food or something in the afternoon, or clean up something, or hang out, you know, after the shows are over in the lot. And awesome. that was that was a lot of fun. And I think it had a good effect on him.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's pretty. I didn't know either of those stories, so that's pretty neat. So now fast forward a bit, you travel with the show. You don't, you're not really at this point doing any studies. Are you other, I mean, are like when I met you, you were doing some actual studies with your team. Were you just kind of watching and observing or what did you do during that time that you were there?
0: Well, we tried to collect as much as we could behavior wise, observing, um, filming time-lapse photography oh, video okay. so we could quantify how much time did the elephant rock or did the cat you know pace or when what that was uh connected to and then also getting blood samples so we could look at cortisol and other compounds that were thought of as well are are related to stress yeah so okay but uh, the the um, cortisol wasn't too useful because it shoots up when they're having a good time, too. So, you know, when they're yeah. out there having a wonderful time, so it's, you know, it, it goes up, you know, and that's just kind of normal, too. So it's hard to try to figure out if this was bad stress or good stress because they're out there running around.
1: So yeah. then I think fast forward, so you traveled with the show. I came, um, so I'm I'm a generational uh, circus performer, animal trainer, uh, exhibited animals, which I know you know. I'm just saying this for the listeners as well. So I'm out traveling with on uh, my horses and a dog and doing some shows, and I was also an aerialist in trapeze. In the circus, you can learn a little of anything. So I'm out traveling in the late 90s, and I produced a show that had an elephant in it for one of the Six Flags parks. And... We just got so much flack. It was crazy. And I lived right on the lot beside the elephants. I've grown up with elephants that w- perform and work. My dad had them pull and harness and do all kinds of stuff when I was a kid. So I, kn- I knew the real story. I'd lived alongside these animals. I'm my grandfather as well. So I'm driving back from this, this engagement at the park And just feeling exhausted and vilified. And I mean, social media had started a little bit. We had email and that kind of stuff. So there was more opportunity for the animal rights group to get, you know, further along at this point. And so I called a, a group called the Outdoor Amusement Business Association. And I said to the person who was running it, the president, who was a friend of my husband's from Six Flags days why do you guys, you guys represent the carnival industry. They're, they were the largest, they are the largest trade association for carnivals. Why don't you do anything for the circus industry? And he said, well, actually, Heidi, we do. We just started a circus unit. And I said, great. Well, in my mind, I just wanted them to do some stuff, right? I didn't want to be involved other than maybe make my payments to the association. Next thing I knew, I'm the circus unit manager. <laughs> right. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> my goal going into it, but Within that, I boy, talk about baptism under fire. I knew how to perform. I knew how to speak and do stuff. Now I'd had media training and enter on the scene Dr. Ted Friend and from Texas A&M University. And my boss, Bob Johnson, tells me Dr. Friend has done a little bit of studying on circus animals, and he'd really like to do more. There's just this loud noise out there. And he's a scientist and, you know, wants to get to the bottom of it. So I met you and I remember thinking uh, you were very nice to me. But I remember thinking you're all about the science, which to your credit and credibility that you were not in favor of in favor of the circuses or not in favor. Right. You wanted to know the science. You're a scientist. And that impressed me. And I liked that. I have another friend, you know, as well who I felt the same way about was Dr. Dennis Schmidt. Yeah. And he's also been on my podcast. The, the, uh, you know, reproduction of the highly endangered aged elephant, one of the world's greatest experts and, uh, one, a nicer man, you couldn't find. So I had these, you two gentlemen, you know, in my now, uh, as contacts and even friends. And, but you wanted to get more circuses involved. And so I, actually talked to you about it and I said, "You know what? I have credibility with these shows. They know me. It's kind of like the farm community. They don't really right. listen to no, those that James. aren't their own, right?" So here I am, a girl who's been raised, you know, worked alongside of these people and known them. So I went to them and said, "Let's do this. Let's do this." We did not know, you know, what the science was going to bring but I felt we needed to do it because if we did find out the science said we need to do things differently, I truly believed we needed to consider that because I believe animal husbandry and care is about expertise, best practices, updates in science, data technology, and then your generational expertise combined in boy, then you got a program. That's just great. Right? So, that's what I was going for. And we talked to animal caretakers and owners and they got on board. Some of them hesitant, but God bless them. They did it. And so that's what I want to talk about. These studies that you did that just were amazing and how, how you did them. Did you travel? I can't remember. I guess you traveled with the shows and that type of thing. How did that work? Right. Out?
0: Yeah. yeah tra- traveled with the shows and always tried to live on the lot uh, right next to to the animals initially it was kind of like on the ground and then in the back of my pickup truck and then I got a cap for the back of my pickup truck. So I wasn't covered with dew in the morning and I had to run generators and things to try to get our, uh, our video running 24 hours a day. So we could say definitely how many times they rocked or what they did or when they did this, and when they did that. And. Uh, what were you? Or, what, yeah, so.
1: what What exactly? So, they, the animal rights community will say they rock, it's a stereotypical behavior that right. they're forced to perform, the training is harsh, and that the mode of transportation. I think those were
0: a lot right, of what you covered. Yeah, that's always some big issues. Yeah. Okay. Well, to back up a bit, I, I gave a talk on some preliminary information i gotten on Carson and Barnes. And that was when, you know, you looking at their elephants when they rocked, when they moved and, uh, 24 hours a day around the clock. And, uh, that, that data turned out to be really interesting. Of course, the rocking was also, she would bring food, water, uh, you know, when performances were coming up, they'd start getting excited and start rocking and that sort of thing. But anyway, I was giving a little talk on this at, in Sarasota at the Show Folks Club. And also on the program was Rhonda Haven, who was then the head mm-hmm. of the U.S. APHIS group yes. that inspects circuses. Yep. And he came up and asked me later if I would go do some studies and he would help fund them. You know, they had some leftover money. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that got me, yeah, you know, I, I used his money to buy a trailer, you know, a, a <laughs> RV. RV no trailer. No more living under the stars. <laughs> no more living and some decent equipment. Yeah. And no more wet in the morning and, you know, allergies and everything. And I had a shower. And I could bring students with me and people. So, you know, that thing would sleep six or eight people. So, they all started coming and it became a real popular thing to go do. You know, they wanted to go see this and get this experience. Plus, they all loved animals. So, including my technician, who originally said she wasn't going to go. You know, she had read all about it and was terrible. But as students came back and talked to her, she wanted to come. And then she became a huge advocate of the whole thing circuses wow that's interesting yeah well she couldn't be too hypocritical because she rescued dogs so her house is full of these dog crates that she stuffs all these dogs into every night and how could you be criticizing cat cages or or elephants and confinement when you're stuffing your dog into the same thing and you know dogs have a drive to Cover long distances and be highly mobile, and and you know she realized that, and and yeah she became a big advocate of this and wanted to go. So, which most people who really know the this issue and follow it or join and see what's going on at a circus, figure it out and say, oh, this isn't a problem. This is all just propaganda you know, or made up stuff, you know. Yes, Ted,
1: you make a great point because I say this about the carriage industry. And on this podcast, I kind of delve into these topics of of groups that are vilified, right? Medical research, the carriage industry, um, elephants, right? Southeast Asia, going to the camps and riding elephants and such. And I always say the outcry is not from the people who do it, who experience it firsthand, it's from those who philosophically, uh, ideological belief yes. that we shouldn't do it. And that, that's fine if you want to feel that way, but we're legislating this stuff and Brian. we're putting people out of business and worse than all of that, we're not taking care of the animals properly because now we're sending animals to sanctuaries and they can't breed highly endangered Asian elephants going to sanctuaries that don't breed, that, that should be criminal because we're, per, we are required to do everything we can to perpetuate the species. So again, it just flies in the face of what should be right by the animals first and foremost. And
0: yeah, so. you're absolutely right. That's, that's what I started seeing from the beginning and yeah, just
1: tell us about this study. So tell us what you did and what you found out, what the results of your study were.
0: Oh, uh, now I have to go back into the old mental files here and try to remember. <laughs> to start off. what So, okay. Um, big
1: cats and elephants, correct? Those were the two species. Yeah, we'll
0: stick with big cats and elephants. We did a little bit of wanas and alpacas and other kinds of things. Oh, okay. uh, depending on what's going on to so look at heat, stress and other kinds of issues. <clears throat> okay. But on the elephants, uh, yeah, rocking, stereotypic behavior was a huge issue and training, and forcing them into performances was supposed to have been a big issue or a big claim. So Jiva lots of hours of continuous videotaping and then looking at that to see when did the animals uh, rock Mm -hmm. pace, get excited and this sort of thing. And, and it was all virtually all stimulated by exogenous stimuli, as we would call it in the trade, which is outside stuff, you know, they do in response to some outside virtually all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, if the elephant next to them, you know, Mary was given some hay, and you know, Josie didn't have it. Josie start rocking like crazy. When it was getting close to feeding time, okay. They'd start rocking like crazy uh, and I, you know, could a little time sort of lapse situation where with a video, I could go back say one hour, two hours, three hours before feeding and seeing when all the rocking was peaking and when it occurred and all peaked just before uh, they were fed. And the same thing happened before performances. When I say like going in for performances, getting away from the you know normal boring routine and go out and do the performances and water gee if someone brought in some water you know they wanted to play in the water Mm -hmm. and they were usually watered several times a day so they're bringing a big big uh not a bucket tank tank of water yeah setting it in front of each elephant you know usually a large heavy trash can kind of thing and they'd love that but they eventually moved the water away from them because it would make a big mud hole right where they were. (laughs) So you're faced with that. So they play with it, squirt it on each other and, you know, then move it to the next elephant, the next elephant. And, uh, yeah, they were really rocking, lifting their trunks up and, you know, trumpeting when the water was coming along.
1: What about the transport? I know you, the, I believe you put, uh, Temperature gauges in the vehicles and checked their stress levels and that. And what was yeah, your, right. what'd you do and what'd you find on that?
0: Well, there were complaints. Activists thought they were overheating, uh, or there were concerns about that, and and you know that might have been till someone looked at it. So I started feeding elephants and cats uh, these little miniature body temperature loggers or temperature loggers. You know, and they're used in the food industry a lot—stainless steel, little things—and uh, pretty easy to get in them. Cats, you just put it in a chunk of meat, and they slopped it all down, slurped it down in one big chunk. And elephants, you had to—yeah, we had to play with that a little bit, whilst the zoo people were encapsulating their their things, their their loggers and making it into a big package, big, hard package, so an elephant couldn't chew it up. Uh, uh, it Didn't take me long to discover though, make it really small and they won't even know it's in them. You know, they, they won't try to chew up that big lumpy thing and better oh, gotcha. just go down with everything else. And that's what we did. So we just had a, a big ribbon stuck on each logger, you know, rolled it up in a nice small package and in it went. You know, I remember it was with what Ringling, and we were doing it. And the general manager, Mark Ipo came by with a whole bunch of Girl Scout cookies. And he said, (laughs) Here, you know, some more, or the ones with the hole in the middle. Oh, yeah. And he said, Yeah, stick it through here. And, you know, they just went nuts over that. That's, you know, yeah. (laughs) They ate those, you know, engulfed them right down. So, yeah. And the people on the lots traveling with the circuses, you know, they were proud of what they were doing and they were quite cooperative and say, let's see this. Let's see what this is. Yeah, we'll try that. You know, they were, you know, trying hard to help.
1: The other cool and, thing uh, that that um, I know you're, you know, you experienced and Dr. Schmidt talked about this. You're working with trained elephants. In, this was free contact, right? These are the days before right, uh, of course. they're sticking yeah. every elephant in protected contact, which means you can't be right next to it and work without without bars around you. And, um, you know, circus elephants, you could tell them, like, Dr. Schmidt, lay down and they could palpate them or ultrasound them. And you can't do yeah. that with untrained animals, you know. And they're Gosh. more curious than they are, like, scared of any of that, right? They're more probably more inquisitive and bother you that way than, than being timid or scared of anything.
0: Right. And they were so well adapted to that environment, you know, and, and the people around them. Uh, So the free contact was great. They would take them on walks, you know, just take the whole herd off on a long walk. And they did that. Most circuses, many circuses, not all, because I didn't know what all did all the time, but many of them would take them on walks you know, once or twice during the day or, you know, the ringling stuff. It was a long walk from the train to the.
1: Exactly. Yes. To the
0: lot, but other circuses, it still take them on walks anyway. Carson Barnes usually did it depending on the elephant trainer too. You know, some of them were more interested in doing that with their animals and good ones did that. Yeah. And it was fun, you know, watching them walk around and take them. There's a big field nearby, take them out there and they just this couple of elephants in the field and, you know, trainer sitting there under a tree. What, tell me
1: Ted, what, um, what was the result of your study? What did you find out? What did you come, what was the conclusion or such of what, what happened with these studies?
0: Uh, They were fine. (laughs) They were good. Uh, We saw no cases of them overheating. Okay, so during really hot weather, did they get hot in those transport trucks or not? And during cold weather, did they get hot or cold in those transport trucks? And they didn't. Uh, you know, the, the people traveling with them could regulate the ventilation and yeah. open up more ventilation or less ventilation. Um, about the only time we saw cats were the only thing that ever really got showed some heat and that was when they were excited because they were getting loaded. Oh, okay. when it came time to, to get loaded and go on into the transport cages at the end, you know, in the evening, they'd start pacing and get excited. You know, everyone was kind of excited. And their body temperature go up a degree or two or three. If they got hot, they just lay down, pan a little bit, cool down, and then you know, they were ready to go again. Okay. So it was, you know, they had the options.
1: So Um, as a, as a scientist, how did you feel about your conclusions on this? Did you come away feeling that what, what they were doing was generally okay? Did you have recommendations? Where, where was this left at the end of your studies?
0: Oh, that they were doing a good job. Most of them, all of them, well, most, there may have been someone somewhere that wasn't but most of them were trying to do a really good job. They already knew um, when it was probably gonna be hot. Did they need to open more ventilation, increase ventilation in a truck or close down ventilation in a truck? Even during the coldest weather, you shut down the ventilation in a truck and an elephant has so much mass, it heats up the truck. I mean, the one problem was they were actually getting hot in those trucks when it was way below freezing. Yep. So it was opening up the trucks and some of the guys were putting in these uh, thermometers, basically wireless, you mm-hmm. know, thermometers and I was buying some of them for them from Radio Shack and others were trying it too. So they could see what the temperature was in the back of the truck while they were driving along. Yeah.
1: And if anything,
0: it was probably getting warm
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. and
0: during cold weather. And during hot weather, you know, all the ventilation was open Yeah. and they were hot as anyone else. but they weren't baking. So, so,
1: you know, what, what, so then when you came to that conclusion, I know you were asked to testify then at different legislative hearings and stuff. What was your experience with that? What kind of reception did you get? How did people take the information you were bringing?
0: Well, it depends on the person. Okay. Okay. Uh, Seattle, Seattle was doing hearings on whether or not they should ban circuses from the arena for safety issues. That was a real funny thing. I think you know, I was
1: there with you at that one.
0: It was hysterical. scary. It was scary.
1: <laughs> I thought it was, that was scary, scary
0: yeah. funny, but I was, I was walking in and one thing I brought in addition to my studies or other studies and they saw, uh, Martha Kylie Worthington's book yeah. I brought her book. And one of them, one of the ladies there said, he's got the book. He's got the damn book. And they all started running towards me with their picket signs, you know, and whacking and stuff. Yeah, oh, you know, None of it hurt. It was just so, so funny. Uh, anyway, and then you no, know, got inside, you know, I, I was safe. Yeah, so, it,
1: was, it okay. was scary. I agree.
0: But yeah, you know, they, they, they wouldn't even, if they just read Martha's book, That know that everything they've been told is just, you know, fiction. Uh, I think it's even,
1: it's even worse now. I think, you know, with social media, I see these posts about elephants that are just so overly emotional and so not in the best interest of the elephant, you know, and I talked to Dennis about that on one of my episodes, prior episodes, but you know, what's interesting about that is here you are an expert who's actually taking the time to be thoughtful and do the research. Right. And right. they don't want to hear yeah. it. They, right, it, they don't, they haven't, they haven't seen from them themselves. This is just something they've been told and that some people are hurting elephants and they're going to come to their aid. What about legislators? Have you incur, in, I know you have gone to a lot of different hearings. Have you found legislators who just weren't interested in the information as well?
0: Well, yes, but I found one or two over the years, This Massachusetts or someplace, well, Massachusetts is one that sticks out, uh, state law. And he said, uh, they had a bill ban elephants and we started talking about where to get the idea for this from and he said it was his daughter who was in second grade third yeah. grade and their teacher was talking about this, how terrible the elephants have it and he thought he had to do something about it. So he introduced this bill and while he was talking to me and uh, showing him these things and telling him stuff, uh, he said, huh, I'm going to withdraw that bill.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And we're going to pull that out, you know, was, yeah, they, they, but they're basing on the screwiest things, you know, their expert would be, you know, a daughter who would never gone, but just heard it from their teacher. Yeah. And that happens so many other ways. As so, so They were banning circuses in Austin and uh, sitting in the audience uh, during the testimony and sitting next to a guy, uh, pretty legitimate looking guy, you know, eh, real reasonable guy. And just asked, Hey, what do you do? And he was, uh, animal welfare advisory board to the city council. And okay, well, when did you last go to a circus? Oh, I've never been to a circus. I don't need to go. I hate them. You know? So, okay. So he's going to advise them on it. And well, he did. And they banned it. So you can guess how that was going to go. Yeah. Uh, so that was, it's, it's really sad and it's just, almost a mob mentality too in some of those hearings because he yeah, has two or three circus people maybe four you know or five and sometimes uh, uh oh Austin one time a city council member said well I don't see where this is any different than what I do with my horses at my ranch and and she was just booed down you know everyone booed and booed and booed well, once so they had all their kids there and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of kid children and, yeah, you know, children wearing elephant masks and trunks and just a big whooping, you know, party kind of a thing. And, you know, no one was listening to anything. You know, and that one city council member knew she'd better shut up or she's not going to be there again.
1: Well, I can tell you, and I, I think you know this too, but having testified at many hearings and uh, helped setting up a federal hearing on an elephant ban in 2001, I think it was, uh, and several state and local municipalities that the legislators will, some of them believe this wholeheartedly that this has to stop and it's abuse, even with with information like yourself, Marth, Kylie Worthington, but uh, others will not really support it, but they get harassed. Make no yeah. mistake about it. It's exactly um, what happened with the Supreme Court justices over, was it last year or two years ago, the abortion issue, where they went to their homes and they they had the fog horns and the loud noise yeah, and harassing. picket. They do that to these legislators. They send emails. They threaten them. I've received them myself as well. And yeah, so, so I. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Oh, you've got to be number one on the hit list, I'm sure. Um, Oh yeah.
0: I used to compare hate mail with other people. Hey, look at this
1: one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, you, you get, you do it so much. You kind of get immune to it, but you, you know, I want our listeners to know that this is what happens to good people who are just telling the truth. And the people who are behind these bands are the Humane Society of the United States, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, ASPCA, uh, in defense of animals, uh, there's so many of them, and people think of them as uh you know the the mainstream groups who take care of animals they what I want to take away from this is you don't have to listen to me, but I'm trying to provide more information and experts so that you know there's more to this story, and you're putting people out of business and vilifying good people, people like my father and the peers that i his peers that I grew up with who we idolized, we thought were gods and Dr. Doolittles and talked to the animals and did things, you know, that were amazing. And Ted, I, I say this, and I, I don't, I'm not trying to be rude people I work with now, but I'm helping people teach their dog to sit, which is a huge issue, right? We, their dog is not behaving We don't train animals anymore. We're going to give them love and cookies and, you know, worry that they're happy. Right. So I'm in somebody's home. Yeah. Mm. Trying to keep their dog from jumping up on somebody, running out the door or just sitting down and we're being vilified, but, and our animals were well-trained enough to walk through major cities in the United States and the Holland Tunnel with a few animal handlers and looking at it inquisitively and not scared, you know, that's training, that's expertise yeah. and I'm just not willing to back down from that anymore. Hence this podcast of trying yeah, to good. get people like yourself telling these stories because you impacted me a lot because I believed what we were doing was good. And of course there's always the, the bad apple I've, you know, and I'm happy to prosecute. There's, there's laws in place for animal abuse, do what's needed for those who don't, you know, follow the rules and take care of the animals We're highly regulated, the government oversees it, and good people like yourself who've come in and looked at this and said, wow, this is interesting. You were curious about it. And that was important to me because I wanted to feel like we were doing a good job. I thought we were, but I wanted wanted to know that. And so thank you for what you did. I'm gonna give you the last word. What would, anything else you'd like to say to, again, people who might be listening who are good folks who care about animals, but don't realize they've been taken in by these groups. What would you want to say to them? What, what might provoke them to think differently?
0: Uh, Well, please use some common sense and realize too that the professional activists that they hear from are in the business to make money, you know, and make a lot of money and um, they've got to be careful about what they say and how they, Spin it. Okay. And so gee, uh well, I mentioned uh, Seattle. When someone saw me in Seattle, uh, I got calls when I got back from Seattle. Never did testify though. They didn't get to me, boss was so silly. You know, they were they were trying to ban it based on safety. And finally someone asked uh you know, the manager of the arena yes. have you ever had any accidents? And no, never. But this, you know, I said soccer, uh, hockey, ice hockey, though, we have about, you know, 30 pending lawsuits a year, you know, from people getting hit in the face with a puck. That's right. And everyone laughed and laughed. And that was sort of the end of the whole thing. Yep.
1: Well, uh, money, too, because they would have had to refund money if they didn't bring the circus. Kenneth Feld was going to (laughs) pull everything else. So all of a sudden, when it became economic, boy, the animals went right out the window. Right. Yeah. It ended right there. So yeah. yeah,
0: that's, that's when they started killing them. So that was, that was a shame. So, uh, now, what was I talking about? Just Got how, just what you want people
1: <laughs> know, what, what you want people yeah. to know about, you know, that might help them change their mind mm. or maybe provoke some thought to not go along with this, to, to well, open their eyes. It's hurting animals. Okay. Well,
0: just go there yourself and sit outside and watch and it could be SeaWorld, it could be whatever you wanted to go watch and see, and it's usually free. You can just sit there, I bring a folding chair, and you just sit there in the back lot and watch them. And gee, when the zoo issues, gee, they were fighting the San Antonio Zoo to get custody of their elephants. And you know a bunch of picketers, protesters showed up, and they were walking around saying, well, this substrate looks pretty good. They've got grass. Right. They've got a pool. They've got shade. Shade's been there forever. It's, you know, old zoo and the shade structures have been there forever. And uh, this sort of thing. And they were realizing they were lied to. Yeah. And loaded on a bus to go come and protest, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah, I've done that once before too. We went to a, took some students to to a animal welfare kind of issue meeting in Austin, Texas one time and um, a couple of buses pulled up outside and they said, okay, everyone get up, get in the bus. We're going over to Texas parks and wildlife. We're going to protest hunting. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, We didn't know that, but everyone was ushered into a bus. And so we all went, got in the bus and went over there to protest hunting. And they gave us a ride back, which was nice, but you know, the, some of the people I went with are big hunters, you know, they were yeah. graduates from you know, Texas ranchers, sure. that sort of thing. We weren't there to protest it, but you know, they can count numbers, take some photos and, and right. leave. So it's, Interesting. it's really sad. And they're, they just lie and lie and lie. Some of them, you know, the people from HSUS, ASPCA, all of them will just lie.
1: That's right. And thank you for saying that because you, you bring a credibility to that. I say that on this podcast, my guests and experts, and thank you for adding your expertise to that because we need, we need to get that story out more and I'm committed to doing that. So thank you so much for helping me tell the story. I would think we'll probably have to do this again. And it's so good to catch up with you. It's been (laughs) too many years and, uh, yeah, I've always enjoyed your company. So thank you, Ted, very much. Appreciate it.
0: Okay. Well, thanks and good luck.
1: It feels good to have this conversation with Dr. Friend and to share it with all of you. I've heard it many times. I was with him uh, often and heard him testify and he is spot on about the lies and the misinformation that's out there and that this is a moneymaker for groups I have a saying that if they care about our elephants exhibited animals, they should care about all the animals because they're all trained and handled the same. So I happen to know that they do very well. They live long lives. The oldest elephants in North America are actually a zoo elephant and a retired circus elephant in their seventies. That doesn't go along with the narrative. So as Dr. Friend said, and I say on almost every episode, go see for yourself. Talk to the zoo community. Talk to the elephant keepers. There are still some circuses with elephants. Go talk to those folks. See for yourself or at least be willing to listen to information like this. It's so important. It's changing how we deal with animals, but it's also going to take animals out of our lives. This is such an important topic. So thank you for joining me as always. Please subscribe, rate, review the podcast, and share it. This is important information I hope you'll share with others. It's important for me to tell these stories. So thank you. So I also hope you'll join me on the next episode of Animal Tales.